much uh, this morning. Happy Palm Sunday. It's good to see you all. If, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Ryan, the lead pastor here at New Hope, and I also want to welcome all of you watching on Facebook this morning. And uh, it's, uh, it's a special morning of celebration. Uh, also, we're going to be celebrating next Sunday. Next Sunday is Easter it's, it's hard to believe, and so it's, uh, and for me, best Sunday of the year, and so I'm super excited. We're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and uh, it's going to be a special time, and I know Pastor Tom was talking about it earlier on, but just to reiterate, we're doing three services this year, so a Saturday night service at 6 p.m., and then the normal Sunday morning, 9 and 10.30 services. Each one are identical. Lots of, uh, uh, of exciting things happening over the weekend, including a petting zoo for the kiddos, and lots of, just lots of great stuff, and so it's going to be a great time of celebration. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, to invite somebody, to be praying about who in my life, a neighbor, a friend, co-worker, somebody that I can reach out to and invite to come with you. Easter is one of those times of year people, they'll say yes, and it may surprise you, but you'll ask them and they'll be like, sure, I'd love to go. You're like, really? I didn't expect that, but great. I'm glad you're coming. So you have invites in your bulletin for, uh, for that, um, to be able to, to, to share that. But keep in mind that also stepping foot into a new church is scary. Try to remember the first time you either came to New Hope or came to a church, and you came in and you're like, what's it going to be like? I mean, are they going to have me stand up? Are they going to make me give a speech? Or do, is it, what, you know, they drink Kool-Aid. What do they do here at this church kind of a thing? And so it can be a little bit nerve-wracking. And so maybe uh, if, say you'll meet them. Maybe just a volunteer to say, look, why don't we meet in the parking lot or I'll be in the foyer waiting for you. Let's sit together. That kind of thing can really help somebody not feel so nervous about coming to church for the first time. So anyway, be praying. It's going to be a great time of celebration. Speaking of scary, um, I want to mention this too. Coming up uh, next Sunday, of course, is Easter, but the Sunday after that, so it's April 28th, we're starting a new sermon series, and we're calling it Scared to Death. We've got a graphic there for you. Uh, I'm very excited about this one because this is going to be four weeks dealing with the topic of fear and anxiety. And this is something all of us can relate with. Now, for some of us, it's crippling. For some of us, it, it limits our life, and it becomes this like, ever-present thing in our lives that we struggle with and deal with. And we're going to talk about what does Scripture say about fear? What does Scripture say about worry and anxiety that we often carry and we live with? And how can we live free from that? And so I'm very excited about that. We're starting on April 20th, just four weeks, getting into Scripture, looking at that, uh, at that topic. So it's going to be a great time uh, looking at that. All right, well, hey, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in a couple places this morning. We're going to be in the book of Matthew and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So you can kind of put your fingers in both places there. And uh, as you've already heard, today is Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday is a special time of year. Palm Sunday is this, this time of year when Christians around the world today are remembering the time that Jesus arrived into his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The way the, the story goes is that Jesus was in a community of Bethphage, and, and he was there, and, and uh, um, his two of his disciples went and got some, uh, a donkey and brought it back and they, they, they put Jesus on the donkey and he began the one mile journey via this donkey uh, from Bethphage into Jerusalem. So we would have gone through Bethphage up to the uh, Garden of Gethsemane area, the Mount of Olives, drop down the Kidron Valley, come in then through the temple or the gates up to the Temple Mount area of Jerusalem. And it's an incredible scene in scripture. You've got this massive crowd that shows up. There was a crowd that was with Jesus and there was a crowd in Jerusalem and it's like the two crowds came together as Jesus makes his way into the city. And people were shouting, and the palm branches were going out, and they were taking their jackets, their cloaks, and putting them down on the, on the, on the dirt trail there, almost making a carpeted path as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem. 
And as you read this, this story in the gospel accounts, at least for me, it's like finally Jesus is getting the praise due to him. I mean, finally, there's this scene where the people are shouting as they're waving the palm branches, Hosanna, Hosanna. And Hosanna is a word that means save now. It's a, it's a plea to the king, to, to the king to say, King, Lord, will you save us? And so there's this incredible scene. And again, finally, Jesus is getting the praise due to him. But as he's going through this scene, Jesus knows full well that in about 120 hours, that same crowd that was saying Hosanna was going to change and began to shout out, crucify him. Crowds can change so quickly. This is Palm Sunday, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, this incredible moment of praise and celebration. This morning, I want to ask a question, though. And the question I want to ask for us to interact with is this. What if Jesus said no? What if he said no? What if that first Easter, that first going into Jerusalem there for the last time, for his last week of life, what if Jesus said, no, no, I'm not going to go into Jerusalem. And what if he said, no, I'm not going to allow myself to be arrested and I'm not going to go to the cross. How would history be different? And how would your life and my life be different as well? If Jesus on that occasion said no. That's the question I want us to interact with today. Because I think once we understand the ramifications that Jesus didn't say no, it, it helps us understand the significance of what happened with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Everything we're going to be celebrating next week. Now, I wanted to share with you, I brought with me a, a fantastic parenting tool, so some free advice for you parents. It's called the no button. Anybody have one of these? So, fantastic tool. Um, wish I use it more often, actually. I, I, in the move, I lost it, but I found it recently. So pulling it out. We got this because we realized, Laura and I, my wife and I, when our kids were younger, we did the math. We figured out we were asked a question by our four kids once every 45 seconds. That's exhausting. Like by like bedtime, you're like, don't ask me anything else, right? And so here's how it works. You know, the kids come to you and say, you know, Daddy, can I paint my room black with pink polka dots? No, so that works, you know. Uh, can I have my third snack in 20 minutes? You know, no. you guys know about that. So no, you push that. This is good for road trips, by the way, right? So, you know, the question, are we there yet? You just push the button, no. You know, go to Chick-fil-A for the fourth time in the same day, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, now my kids are older, so there's only one question I'm getting now, and that's, can I have money? This is good for that one no. too, right? So you can just use, anyway, you've got the no button here. What if Jesus had one of those? And I'm being silly now, but like, you know, that idea where he said, no, I'm not going to do it. But he didn't say no, did he? He said, yes. He said, yes, that day. He said, yes, when he was riding into Jerusalem that day and the crowds were shouting and Hosanna, they were crying out and all this worship and adoration was happening. Jesus knew full well what was going on. And he knew what was coming. And he knew what was in store. In fact, he talked about it all the time with anybody who would listen, especially as his death got closer. Jesus was very open with exactly what was going to happen. Look with this, just one example here. This next scripture here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. Here's what it says. It says, from that time on, is in over and over and over again, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, 
the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Again, over and over, he's talking about this idea. And then we get to the triumphal entry, and it's Sunday, and there's this incredible scene, Palm Sunday. And Jesus knew what was going to happen at the end of the week. I want to fast forward us then from Sunday to Thursday, Thursday night specifically. It's the same week, and as Pastor Tom was talking about earlier on, you're going to be getting weekly emails this week. I hope it's an encouragement to you so you can track all the events that happen every day of the last week of Jesus' life. You're getting an email. It's on Facebook. You'll be getting a text reminder just so that we're all in Scripture and we're taking in this last week and we're seeing what was happening in Jesus' life that last week to prepare our hearts, and I hope it's an encouragement to you. So we've, we've gone from Sunday now. We're going to Thursday evening here of his last week. Uh, Jesus and his disciples have just finished the Passover meal. The, the Last Supper. And they left there from that location. They went out of the city, down the Kidron Valley again, up the Mount of Olives. They went to a place called the Garden of Gethsemane. I have a picture of what it looks like today. It's actually a very pretty spot. Maybe some of you have been there before. But he goes to this setting here. And there in this moments before his arrest, before he's going to be tried, before he's going to be beat, before he's going to be crucified, before he's going to be murdered, Jesus is there, and he's going to spend time in prayer to his father. Look with me in Matthew chapter 26, verse 37 and 38. It says this, that he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus knew what was happening. He knew what was coming. And so he goes, and three times he goes through this pattern of, of praying. Next verse, this is how Jesus prayed. He said, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. And the cup here, the cup represents, it's a symbolic wordplay here, but the cup represents all the suffering Jesus is about to go through. Everything that he was about to endure uh, as he took on our sin upon himself, all the physically being ripped apart on the cross in the excruciating, painful death, all the, all the separation that he would experience temporarily from his father as for a moment the Trinity is, is torn apart as he becomes sin on our behalf. You have this incredible, Jesus knows what's coming and he feels the full weight of that. He knows in moments he's going to be arrested. He knows what's going to take place. And here we see with raw honesty, Jesus praying, my father, if it is possible, take this cup from me. What's he doing? Jesus is praying for a pass, isn't he? he he's praying for a plan B. If the, God, if there's any way, my father, if there's any way to accomplish your will, I know why I'm here, and I know what's before me, but if there's any other way to do this besides what I know is in front of me, I choose that. Is there any way? As he's calling out, he's anguishing in prayer with his father there in the garden. It's an incredibly powerful moment. And then as heaven held its breath, what would Jesus respond and what would he do? He finishes his prayer in this way. He says, yet not as I will but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. Again, this incredible moment of incredible honesty before God, and yet submission and obedience. 
to say, God, I don't, I don't want to do this. I'm scared to, I mean, all those emotions, he was fully human, just like us. And, and then also on the other side of it to say, but God, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus said, yes. But our question this morning is, what if he said no? And if he said no, I'm gonna go very quickly through this, but there's at least three results would have taken place, would take place now today, our reality today, that Jesus had said no. And I wanna hit these again very quickly, but I wanna hit these for this reason, because I think when we see what all we gain because Jesus said yes, I think what it does, it raises the value of remembering why is this so important? Because you know how it is sometimes, especially if you've been in church for a long time, it's like, well, I've heard that story. Yeah, yeah, I know Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, I know he rose on the third day. I know I got it. I, I got that one down but we forget the gravity of what it really means and why it's really important. And so very quickly, and here's some fill in the blanks. Hope you have your bulletin on the backside. You can fill in some blanks. And we've already had a few here to fill in. But here's, the, here's your next one is this, that if Jesus said no, if he said no that night, what would happen? Here's the first one. It's this, that we would have no hope. That you and I, as we live our lives today, we would have no hope. Now, what's hope? Hope is the idea, is having reasons to believe that tomorrow can be better than today. That's what hope means. And hope's not optional. We need hope. It's the fuel of our heart. Like, we can't just live without it. Like, we need hope in our lives. But if Jesus had said no to the cross, then we would be left to live this life and to face our death without hope. Because what that would mean for every single one of us is that life has no overarching purpose and that heaven is a cruel joke. That's what it means. There's no hope for today. There's no hope for tomorrow. And that day after you take your last breath or any of the loved ones that you and I have had and we've had to say goodbye to, there's no hope. There is no future. There is no purpose. There's, there's nothing that we have to hang on to with that. Look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 17 through 19, it says this, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins and I am still in my sins. So then those also who have fallen asleep, in other words, that means who have died in Christ, they're lost. Those that we love, those that we care for, that we've had to say goodbye to, they're lost. And if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this was all a big joke, if it never happened, if Jesus never went to the cross, we're to be the most pitied of all people on planet Earth, really and truly. This is the reality of it. We have no hope. But because Jesus did die on the cross, because that happened, sin is destroyed. And because Jesus rose from the grave, death has been conquered. And we have hope. You have reasons for hope. You have reasons to, tomorrow can be a better day to today because you worship not, not, a, not a, a, a dead savior, but a risen living, living Lord who is alive in your life. And so you have reason for hope. And so even on the worst of days, and you know what those days are like, those days when you get the phone call you never wanted to get, or you get the diagnosis you never thought you'd hear, or a curveball comes in your life and it just totally knocks you off, you just, you just didn't even see it coming. Those moments, even in those moments, we can have hope. We can have hope, real, real hope. 
because of who Jesus is and because of what he did, that there is purpose in this life and there is hope after this grave, that there is life after, this, after death. We can trust him for that, and there is hope in this world. So because Jesus said yes, we have hope. But what if he said no? Here's your next one. If Jesus said no, here's another consequence. We would have no freedom. We'd have no freedom. And what, what I mean by this is that Jesus has said no and never went to the cross, we, you and I, would still be stuck in our sin. We would still be slaves to sin. There would be no forgiveness of sin. A debt payment we can never pay back. If Jesus had said no, there is no freedom. Sin is ours. John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36. Jesus is speaking. He says, very truly I tell you, in other words, it's saying, I'm telling you the truth here. This is, this is real. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Freedom comes to each one of us because of what Jesus has done. Because he said, yes, we can experience not only hope, but we can experience freedom in him, freedom from the law, freedom from having to sin. You know that when you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit's in you, you don't have to sin. You are free from that. And there's freedom in Christ. And finally, the last thing here. So we have, if he said yes, we have, we have hope, we have freedom. But if Jesus said no, here's the last consequence. Here it is. If Jesus said no, we would have no relationship with God. Because here's a principle about sin. Sin ruins relationships. Every time. It ruins your relationships with other people in your life. And maybe you're looking back at your own past and you say, yeah, I can, see, I can tell you my stories. I can tell you the stories how my decisions and my sin has hurt people. And I've messed up relationships in my life. So sin ruins relationship, not just with one another, but sin ruins relationship with God. It shatters it. It breaks it completely. In fact, when we violated his commands, both in our nature and our actions, and we have turned our back to him, every single one of us, every single one of us has done this. We have ruined, broken our relationship with God. And the Bible is very clear. We can't mend that. We can't fix that. There's nothing we can do. We can't be good enough, religious enough, kind enough, give enough, devote enough, whatever the case may be, we can't do that to fix the relationship. The only way it gets fixed is by God sending his son into his fallen world, into our messed up lives to rescue us, restore us, and take the punishment our sin deserved. Look with me at Ephesians chapter two. It says, for grace, it is by grace, you have been saved. What that means is grace. This is getting something you don't deserve. That's what grace means. It's getting something that you and I do not deserve. For it is by grace that you and I have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by, not by works so that no one can boast. No one can boast. It is out of Jesus's love for his father and the desire of Jesus to glorify his father and his love for every single one of you and millions and billions of other people that Jesus went to the cross. 
that he went to the cross in our place, that he said yes to all the suffering, to the beatings, to the crucifixion. He said yes to it all so that we could experience hope, freedom, and a relationship with him. That's what he did. Here's next fill in the blank. And if there's one big idea that I want you and I take away this morning, it's this. That Jesus said yes to the cross so that you could say yes to him. Jesus said yes to the cross so that you and I would have the opportunity to say yes to him. I want to ask you this morning as, as we begin to wrap up, I want to ask you, is there an area of your life where you've been saying no to him? An area of your life where you've been holding back and saying, God, not this part of my life. Maybe you've got your own no button and you're pushing it. Maybe for you, it's, it's a first time saying yes to him. That for all of your life, you've never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You've never placed your trust in him. You've never said, I want to do this. I think you're real. I know what the scriptures say. I know who I am in you. And, and I want to turn my life over to you. Maybe that's where you're at this morning. I want to close with a story. It's a true story. When uh, my son, Sean, was nine or 10 years old, he had a school function. And uh, my wife and I went, we were at the school function. And one of the things they had in lots of different rooms, but one of the rooms in the library, I should remember, was what they were calling a poetry slam. And so students had written poems and they were taking turns coming up and they were reading the poems to each other. This was an elementary school and middle school combination. So there was younger and older kids. I remember this one boy came up. I was sitting in the back, just, just watching, just observing. And this middle school boy comes up and he's got his poem and he's gonna get ready to read it. And clearly he wasn't the, um, the cool kid. Because in the back, especially in the back, there was a, a table and a bunch of the boys there were laughing at him. It was clear. They were making fun of him. And this boy begins to share his poem. And it was very vulnerable about himself. And it was a poem about his own struggles with depression and his own struggles with loneliness. Uh, and then he was cutting. And he was, he was going through a hard time, obviously. And here he was in a, a poem. And it was an assignment, but he had the courage and he was just sharing the story. And I'm, I'm hearing him and I'm watching these kids and they're giggling in the back. And it just, it was kind of a sad scene. And I will never forget what happens next. Next, He stopped in the middle of his poem and he put his paper down. And he just looked at the back of that room where the boys were sitting. And then he looked at everybody else and he said, who here, who here is religious? The question was a little bit out of nowhere. It threw me off and I think it threw everybody off and nobody responded. I mean, it was just everybody kind of stopped and was looking around. We knew it wasn't a part of the poem anymore. So he said it louder. He said, who, who here is religious? Finally, a few hands went up. And at that back table, there was even a few of the boys. They put their hands up too. Not all of them, just a few. And he looked at him and he said, how come you never told me? How come you never told me that there was a God? And how come you never showed me It was dead silent. Those boys put their hands down. He turned and he walked away and walked out the room. 
And that was it. That boy was looking for what we're talking about. He was looking for hope. And he was looking for freedom. And while he may not have known at the time or been articulated, he was looking for a right relationship with God. Because we can only find the satisfaction that we're looking for, and we're looking in so many places in life and in this world to be filled and satisfied with things that don't last, but it only comes from relationship with him. That's what he was looking for. All the depression, the loneliness, and the cutting. I share that for a second reason, though. The second reason I want to share that story is this morning. Because I want to remind us that we live in a world and we're surrounded by people that that's where they're at. That they are looking themselves for him, for Jesus. They're looking for that relationship. And, and we've been encouraging you to, to pray for people, you know, and invite to Easter. And you got your Easter invitation, and, you know, to hand out to people. And that's fine and good. But I, can I challenge you with something even more important? Can I challenge you not only this week, not only with Easter coming, but, but this, is, this is far beyond that. This is every day. Can I challenge you to live your faith out loud? Can I ca- challenge you in a world that says, our culture that says, keep your faith to yourself. Be quiet. Don't talk about it. Don't share it. Don't show it. Not here. Not PC. Oh, I know all that. But can I encourage us all to be courageous enough to show and tell to a lost world the faith that you have, the difference that Jesus makes in your life. Because if you truly are a person that you've said yes to him and you in your life can testify and experience that you've experienced hope, that you experience freedom, and that you experience a relationship with, with God, those things that scripture says is more precious than gold. It does not matter what's in your bank account or what you drive or what your house looks like. That is the most, most, most important thing. If that truly is what matters most, that we wouldn't put that under a bushel, that we wouldn't hide that, we wouldn't be ashamed of that, we wouldn't just tuck it away and we bring it out on Sunday mornings and we don't put it away on Mondays and we don't show it. Because people need to know. They need to hear. And God's plan A and there is no plan B is his church. It's you and it's me. That we get to put our faith on display. It's a faith that's imperfect, It's messy, we mess up, we have regrets. But like Jesus in the garden, it's honest. And it's submissive and obedient. This is what we get to do. This is our calling and our privilege. And so I hope that's an encouragement to you uh, this morning as we we prepare, the goal this morning was preparing our hearts for this coming week and all the celebration that we get to do. Friday is dark, Friday is sad, Friday is the cross, but Sunday's coming. It's gonna be a great time of celebration and worship. We pray together and the worship team, you guys can come on up if you would, please. We're gonna close out our service. Lord, today is Palm Sunday. Today is a day that we shout out Hosanna that we recognize that we are in need of rescue of a savior. And Lord, that is you. We thank you. We thank you for saying yes. We thank you that you were willing to endure the cross, scorning its shame. 
you were buried, but on the third day you rose again. And Lord, as we, as we prepare our hearts today, as all week, as we're in scripture, all of us, as we are willing and, and we are seeking ways to put our faith on display, to show and tell to a world that goes far beyond yard signs all over Adele, but, but as living testimonies, examples in our heart and life of men and women, boys and girls who are in love with you. I pray that you would use us this week. And as we prepare our hearts and we come again, whether it's Saturday or Sunday morning, that we're going to celebrate and we're going to worship the resurrection because what you did not only changed history, it changed the world, it changed our lives. We thank you for that. We love you. And now we're going to worship you with all of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.